This morning's scripture reading will be from 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves God is born of God and knows God. He who does not love God, he who does not love, does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. In this love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Good morning. It's good to be together this morning. It's good to be home after uh, being in a gospel meeting last week. It's always good to be at Mount Juliet. If you're a guest, we hope that you're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're here. We want to encourage you. You've been an encouragement to us just by coming. The text that was just read, did you notice how many times the word love was in that text? God is love. And God expects us to know love If we're going to know him, we must know love. And we'll look at that in depth, hopefully not only this morning, but we hope that we'll be looking at that all throughout the week. If you're sitting on the end of an aisle, if you will, be sure and pick up one of the brochures and pass them down uh, for the others. And there's some on most seats, uh, most pews, they'll be on each end. And then if you will, if they meet in the middle, please, once you have yours, pass them back to the end so that they'll be on each of the ends again uh, for those in the 1015 service. What you're holding in your hand is you're holding a letter that was written to you. This letter was written a couple of thousand years ago almost. And uh, this letter was written by the Apostle John. And John wrote this letter because he wanted us to know God and he wanted us to know the God of love. And so what I want to encourage you to do this week is I want you to encourage you to read this as if it were a letter. That is what it is. But instead of just saying, oh, I'll read a chapter today or I'll read a chapter tomorrow. I want to really challenge you. I want to encourage you several times this week to read the entire letter as it was written to be read as a letter. And so here's some suggestions. What about if you set your alarm just 15 or minutes or so early in the morning? And what about if you begin your day reading 1 John, the letter that was written to you about the love of God? And maybe as you're reading it, you want to underline every time you see the word love. And maybe you want to underline or highlight every time you see the word know or some form of the word know. Know or knowledge. Isn't it interesting that a lot of the know and knowledge that you're going to see ties into truth and to righteousness and what God wants us to know about his love. Knowledge and love are two key themes that run through the book of 1 John. Now, someone else would say, wait a minute. I thought 1 John was about assurance. It is. If you have knowledge and love, you have assurance. And so it really is a book where John's saying, I want you to be assured of some things. Now, maybe on on Monday evening or Tuesday evening or Thursday evening, whatever's best for you and your family. What about if all of you sat down? And you've already done your highlighting yourselves. All of you sit down and read the book together again. And stop occasionally and talk about why that word love is there and what it means in that context. And then what it would mean in our life tomorrow as we live. And why is the word no there? And how is it used in that context? And what does that mean in the way that we would live tomorrow? I just encourage you, please. As we think about this month, God's family, his love, 
What a wonderful way to begin the month series on love than all of us bathing our mind and our heart in the topic of love from God's holy book as written in 1 John. Also, by way of a couple of announcements, let me mention to you our huge appreciation for all of our teachers. Now, we want to honor you with an appreciation dinner. It'll be August the 10th at 6.30. It's a Friday afternoon, evening, and uh, there will be child care available if you need that. We encourage you to bring your spouses with you also. And there will be sign-ups in your classrooms, and also there's a sign-up sheet at Information Central. Uh, we appreciate everybody that uses their gifts, and we try to say thank you in various ways, and this is just one way that we want to say thank you to those of you that teach. And we appreciate Tim Martin and his great leadership of our education department, and him providing this as a way to say thank you. Also, I want to remind you that as a part of a month where the theme will be upon love, we next Sunday will be thinking about the second greatest commandment. Now, some of you will remember that traditionally we have one Sunday in August as we think about love that we place an emphasis on the second greatest commandment and we invite someone in to speak in Bible class that is doing a real good job in what they do in ministry of loving others. And so this year we've invited Lou Butterfield in. And so we want to encourage all of our high school and adults to remember that your classes will be combined and we'll meet in the auditorium and Lou will teach us. Lou has, and his son have done a wonderful job of putting together a 20 lesson series that's meant to be used in group settings to reveal and offer recovery to those who are suffering with pornography. No doubt it would be the leading addiction right here in this audience right now. There would probably be no addiction that would be anywhere close to the number of people here that would struggle with pornography. You remember the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. And what we want to encourage you to do next Sunday is we want to encourage you to come with a heart that says, if I'm struggling with this, I want to love myself enough to get the help that God has designed for me to get. Second, let's come with the heart that says we want to love others, and that includes others that are struggling. Jesus didn't come to help those that are well. He said a physician didn't do that. He came to help those who were sick. And so we want next Sunday to be a time where it helps us focus on an opportunity that, sad to say, is growing and is prevalent and is all around us. And yet, we want in this study to remind everyone there's hope. There's a tremendous solution. God's love can overcome. What about this love? When we look at the text that was read today, we heard the word love over and over. Last year, we did a study together in I don't know if this ever happens to you, but maybe you hear a sermon or you go through a study and then even months later you look back and, and you can pick out that one in your mind and you say, that really helped me. I can tell you that last year there was a sermon. Uh, we, I, I preached it here. We studied it together. And it was really one that has caused me to look at a lot of things from just a little bit different angle. I can't say to you that I didn't know the things that we studied 
because it really was a pretty simple sermon. I can say to you, though, it impacted me to be reminded and maybe somewhat informed that we cannot overemphasize love. We can neglect other things. Like, for example, we could neglect truth. But simply because we neglect truth doesn't mean we've overemphasized love. I've heard people say that. Well, I tell you what's wrong with those people. They just, they just overemphasize love and, and they neglect truth. You can't overemphasize love. What we need to do is make sure that we realize the standard of love is high. And we need to give all that we can to become the loving people that God has called us to be. And at the same time, we need to recognize the importance of truth. Ephesians 4 and 15, we speak the truth in love. And I just want to remind you just quickly of a few passages. You remember in Matthew, the 22nd chapter, the lawyer asked Jesus, what's the the greatest commandment? He said, the first and greatest is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And Luke added the word strength. And then he says, the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus, before he died on the cross, said, I want to give you a new commandment. I want you to love one another. How? As I have loved you. He raised that bar of how we love each other. Now it's not just, hey, you need to love others. And it's not even, you need to love others the way your elders love others. Hey, we have awesome elders, but you know what? Their standard of love isn't high enough if it's themselves. We just need to love others the way way your mama loves you. Your mother's love isn't high enough. You pick anybody on earth and, and what the Lord is saying is, I want to show you a standard of love like there has never been on earth before. I want you to love others as I have loved you. And now the bar has been raised. How are we going to love other people like Jesus loved other people? And so Paul writes the great love chapter in 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. And there's so much from the first word to the last word. But do you remember the last few words of that verse, of of that chapter? The last verse is, there is faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest, the, the greatest of these three is what? It's love. And in Colossians, the third chapter, whenever he gives this beautiful long list of things that we need to take on in our life, I'm talking about things like mercy and kindness, tenderheartedness, even forgiveness. He gives that list. And then at the end of the list, he says, but above all these things, above those things, yes, higher and above those things, put on love. This month. Will you open your heart and your mind and your will to say, Lord, I want to continue to grow. I want to mature in the way that I love you, the way I love others, and the way I love myself. In this study of John, of his epistle, 1 John would be a wonderful way to begin that. What are you going to read when you read this week, 1 John? I'd like for you to think about, we've already made mention somewhat of this, but if I could develop it for just a moment. On this next slide, you're going to see three key words. And I would like for you to just make a note in your mind of these words. You're going to read a lot about love. And then if you think about know and knowledge, within that knowledge, you're going to read a lot about righteousness and a lot about truth. John is heavily developing that if we're going to be people, you know, we sometimes sing the song, Blessed Assurance. Do you have blessed assurance? Do you believe with all of your heart in God 
and Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Do you have that assurance? John is writing this epistle so that we can gain that blessed assurance. Now think about this. Love without righteousness. We're seeing how important all these are together. You can't individualize them. Love without righteousness becomes immoral. Righteousness where you, you create your own standard of righteousness without truth becomes legalistic. Remember, the Pharisees were legalistic. They had their own standard of righteousness. It was based upon their traditions. It wasn't based upon the truth of God. And they became legalistic. Truth without love becomes very bitter and violent. And the Pharisees were a great example of that. Who was it that crucified Jesus? Was it some of the the vilest criminals? No, really, the ones who instigated the crucifixion of Jesus were some of the most religious people of the day. The problem is they had created some kind of righteousness in their mind that was their standard of truth, but they practiced it without love. This lesson is simply not the, 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 the place within this lesson time-wise. But we're going to have to come back and address it because our culture in America has never changed so much in a matter of six to eight weeks as it has on the topic of homosexuality. And so sometime soon we, we must address the design of the family and where does this discussion and more importantly the doctrine of Scripture fall within the discussions that take place in our culture. But you see, think about that. Love and righteousness. Do we love the homosexual? Absolutely. But what's going to be our standard? What's going to be our righteousness? We have to decide if we'll let culture set it or if we'll let truth set it. But then there's also this convicting question as we study this topic. Are we going to teach the truth in love? What have you done lately to prove that you love a homosexual? Not that you hate them and hope that they are destroyed. You see, as important as righteousness, it's also just as important for us to be loving people. And so we have a time of transition that we've entered into We've been entering into it for several months and several years and and really over a decade or more. But now we've passed into it as a culture. And we are going to be tried. We're going to be tested, probably to a degree persecuted. And we still will have to decide, are we going to love As we stand for truth, creating a righteous standard that is based upon God. I hope you'll read and bathe your mind in 1 John this week. And you'll underline and you'll learn what is it that God wants us to see about love, about knowledge, knowing, about righteousness, and about truth. Who's writing this epistle? One of the boldest straightforward apostles that's ever walked is writing this 
But if you look at almost any of the artist renderings of the Apostle John, he is usually presented as the weakest, timid, and sometimes even effeminate one of the apostles. In the middle of the picture there, it's not hard for you to pick out which one the artist thought was John, is it? That just kind of boils my blood every time I see that. Because I can tell you from the man we study in scriptures, that's not true. Who is the one you're reading about this week? The the letter is from John. Who is he? He's the man that was one of the closest friends with Peter. You remember how bold Peter was. And as a matter of fact, as a young man, he and his brother was called the sons of thunder because even as a follower of Jesus, they wanted to call fire down and destroy a village. And then, do you remember when Jesus was arrested and everybody else fled? You remember who stayed close? There was only one apostle who stayed close and risked his life. And it was John. And at the foot of the cross, we only find one apostle risking his life at the foot of the cross. And it was John. And when there was a foot race because they heard that the tomb was found empty... It was John who won the foot race and the first man to go back in the tomb that was found empty. And now we come to the end of this man's life. And this man who is full of the love of God doesn't write a quiet and timid epistle. Instead, he writes a bold and a loud epistle that says, we've got to know the love of God. We've got to decide, are we going to walk in the world? Are we going to walk in the light with the Lord? We've got to decide, are we going to be an antichrist and believe that Christ is not even a God? Or are we going to say, I know what the truth is. I know the righteousness and I'm not backing away from it. He is the last apostle standing. Let that sink in. Some of us that are younger, we may not appreciate that. Some of you that are older, you'll appreciate that. Twelve were selected. They did a magnificent job except the exception of one that had to be replaced. Paul came on later and what a job he did. Some of the greatest men that walked this earth, no doubt, were the apostles. And he's watched them die one by one and martyrs death. And there's one standing. And God commissions the last one standing. Write some more. He's already written the gospel of John. And now he writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and the book of Revelation. This week we're going to read the writings of a great man. But more importantly, we're going to be the, read the writings of a great man whose writings are inspired of God. What are we going to learn from him? First, we're going to learn why he wrote what he wrote. If you will, look in your Bible to 1 John, the first chapter and verse 4. He tells us why he wrote this epistle. In 1 John 1 and verse 4, and these things we write to you. And he says we because if you read the previous verses, he's talking about as apostles. They were able to write because they were eyewitnesses of God and God had chosen them to be apostles and etc. And so he's saying we write to you. Why? That your joy may be full. Listen, God wants you and I to be people of joy. Remember the fruits of the Spirit? One of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit is joy. God wants us to have a deep joy 
inner joy in our life. It doesn't mean that everything on the surface is good. It doesn't mean everything about our day-to-day life is good. But we can have a deep inner joy to know that our relationship with God is good. And that when we leave this earth, we're going to have a home waiting for us that is awesome. Now, that's another reason they wrote, but we'll get to that in a minute. Look at the second chapter in verse 1. There's another reason why he wrote, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Why did you write, John? I wanted, you to, I wanted to write to you because I want to encourage you not to sin. Well, John, I'm sorry. I've already been a sinner. And he says, okay, let me finish this. And if anyone sins... And we know, he knows that we do because the last part of the first chapter dealt with the fact that everybody's a sinner. And if you say you're not, you're a liar. And so he's just using that terminology there to say, okay, so we're sinners. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, who the righteous See how that knowledge of righteousness and truth is going to be scattered all throughout this book. And so John, why are you writing? I want you to have the joy that everyone can have if they have a relationship with God. I want you to have a life that's not full of sin, but a life that has been separated from sin. Your past sins are forgiven and you're walking in a new path. Well, that will lead to the next reason. Look over in 1 John, the fifth chapter in verse 13. The fifth chapter in verse 13, he tells again why he's writing. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. So that's who he's writing to are believers that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. John, why are you writing? I want you to have blessed assurance. I want you to know that you have eternal life. One of the things that we've done a great job of in the church is embracing the idea that says, when someone says, well, you know, you just can't really know if you're saved or not. That's not what the Bible says. And we need to be real careful embracing things that are in direct contradiction to the Word of God. John says, I'm writing you this book because I want you to know that you have eternal life. Do you believe God can keep His promises? God can forgive you. God can give you a light to walk in. God can give you an advocate that can talk to the Father and be a sacrifice for your sins. And when you walk in the light in 1 John 1 and 7, His blood continually cleanses you of sins. God wants to be your Savior every day of your life. Do you know that you have eternal life? That goes back to the joy. That goes back to saying, I don't want to live a life of sin. That goes back then to saying, I have blessed assurance. I know who my Father is. I know who my Lord is. I know who my Savior is. And I know who I am. I am a child of God. I'm saved. But let's do ask this question. How do you know that you can know? Is that fair enough? For just a few minutes and we'll close. How can you know that you can know? You know, many of us maybe work in places where you are required to do continual education. Now, part of that might be because they're just afraid you'll forget what you've learned. But, you know, more often the continual education is because of technologies and systems changing and et cetera. There are advancements that those that have been working for a while need to be caught up on. And so it would be natural living in a society where knowledge is continually changing for someone to question that book was written 2000 years ago. How can we know that what we know now is true? 
Well, let's look and let's see what John would say about how we can know what we are to know. That previous slide, here are just a few of the things that that God says that we can know. 1 John 2 and 5, we're in Him. He says you can know this. 2 and 13, we can know the Father. 2 and 21, we can know the truth. 3 and 14, we can know that we've been passed from death to life. 3 and 24, we can know that He lives in us. 4 and 13, we can know that we live in Him and Him in us. 5 and 2, we can know that we love the children of God. And as you study this week, you're going to underline the word no so many other times. And you're going to see so many other things that God says, we can know this. You can know that you know this. How can we know that we can know this? Number one, we know it by the fruit of obedience. What does your life look like? Let's do the test of obedience. First John one and six, read first John one and six. And we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness. We lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship, that's Jesus being in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us of sin. What can we know? We can know if we are walking in the light, that's a test of obedience. You can know that you know if you're walking in the light. Now listen, if you're walking out in the world, If you're walking and you're practicing sin and not practicing truth, you can know you're not in the light. But you can know if you're in the light. I think about one of the best series. It's a true story. One of the best series I've ever heard about knowing that you have eternal life out of 1 John. It was about four or five series long in a gospel meeting several years ago. And the preacher who preached that, we later found out, was having an affair while he was preaching that series. Listen, I can't be practicing sin. That's who I am, that's what I'm doing, that's where I live. And know that I can have eternal life. But I can come and I can walk in the light with the Lord. And if I'm walking in the light with Him, I can know that I know that I have eternal life. Let's look at the second thing. We're going to go a little bit out of order in the the book here. Look at 1 John 4 and 7. This is our theme for the month. How can we know? 1 John 4 and 7, the text that's already been read. We'll mention it quickly. 1 John 4 and 7, beloved, notice the word love and notice the word know in these two verses. Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and what? Knows God. How can you know that you know God? Real clearly, he says, you can know that you know God based on how you love other people. Well, notice verse 9, he talks about that the love of God is manifested. The love of God was shown to us. How was it shown to us? The rest of that verse is going to talk about him sending Jesus to die for us. What a wonderful gift he gave to others. Now notice, he didn't love us first. We didn't love him first. He loved us first. So what are we seeing here? We're seeing great sacrifice that is unconditional. Now, we have received that kind of love from God, and that is the kind of love that we are to show to other people. And so based upon whether or not we show that love to other people is based upon whether or not we know God. That's why verse 11, it sums up by saying, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So you go back up to verse 6 and 7. If we know God, 
We're going to love others as God loved us. And he says, when you love others as God has loved you, you know God. When you go home this afternoon and this evening, will the love of God be evident in the way you love your family? When you go to work tomorrow and you deal with an enemy or you deal with someone that's very difficult to deal with, will the love of God be evident in your life the way you deal with someone? Will you deal with them unconditionally, sacrificially? Will you turn the other cheek? Will you forgive? If I'm not going to do those things, I can't say I know God. But if I can do those things, I can say I know God because I wouldn't do that by nature. I would only do that because I know God. And then finally, let's drop back to 1 John, the second chapter. 1 John, the second chapter. I'm just going to mention it. He brings up the topic of the Antichrist. In verse 18, and today in our religious culture, there's been so much false doctrine about the Antichrist where people think there's going to be one person rising up in a, in a premillennialistic teaching and all. And that's just not at all what the Bible teaches. If you'll notice, it's plural. And he very clearly states in verse 22, he who is Antichrist is the one who denies the Father and Son. That's simply what Antichrist is. If you deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, or if you deny that there's a heavenly Father, you're an Antichrist. And so here, that teaching was gaining prevalence in, as, as John is writing this. And so he says, listen, you can know, you can know who you are based upon what you teach. What doctrine are you teaching? Notice in 29, if you know, verse 29, second chapter, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. You can know when someone teaches something that is righteous. So what are the ways that you can know when your life of obedience proves that you know, when the way that you love others proves that you know, and the way that you teach your doctrine is what the apostles and what Christ taught, you're proving that you know. What do you know? You know those things so that you can have joy. You know those things so that you can keep sin out of your life. You know those things because you know you have eternal life. Love and knowledge. Love and knowledge. Knowledge rooted in righteousness and truth. Please search for those this week in your, what you're reading. Please search for those in your life. And please search for ways that you can express and teach those to other people. What is it that you can do this week? What is it that you can do tomorrow morning, tomorrow before noon? What is it that you can do to show the love of God to someone? What is it that you can do that will show your knowledge of righteousness and truth? This morning... If there's anything we can do to help you take steps closer to God, that's all any of us want. We want to be on that path of righteousness, walking in the light and moving in our maturation process every day closer to the Lord. If you want to be immersed into Christ, if you want to come back and be restored, if you simply need prayers, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand and as we sing.